Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Welcome to 2024 and NGI Hub and Flow's first episode of the new year. I'm NGI Price and Markets Editor Letitia Gonzalez, and I'm excited to welcome NGI's Senior Markets Reporter Team, which includes Kevin Dobbs, Chris Newman, and Jody Shafto, to provide us with a midwinter check-in. After one of the warmest starts on record, January weather has fluctuated quite a bit more with the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday weekend kicking off a week-long winter blast in which frigid weather became widespread. Even down here into Texas, we got into the teens. So what impact did the freezing temperatures have on natural gas prices? Has production recovered from freeze-offs? What about storage and the outages that resulted from the storm? What do they tell us about the state of the energy grid and how the market will manage for the rest of winter? We'll dive into all of these issues and more. And Chris, we're going to start with you since you drew the lucky number and actually covered the markets during the latest winter storm. What can you tell us a little bit about how prices responded both to the threat of the winter storm coming and then ultimately the realization of these freezing temperatures? Yeah, this storm kept us quite busy on the markets. Prices spiked the Friday before the holiday weekend, with many hubs jumping five to seven times their value from prices uh, the Thursday before. And these are next-day cash prices. Uh, but in the case of a weekend, in, in the holiday weekend, they were in effect for all four days of the weekend until trade reoccurred on on, on the Tuesday. So what we saw was the the national average, NGI's national average price jumped to around 16.77 on Friday, and that was in effect for all four days. It had been in the low to mid $3 range. And so what you see when you look at the price graphs for cash prices, you get these massive spikes in the wintertime that you don't reach for the rest of the year. So these were the highest, highest prices since last winter. Okay. Were there any regions in particular that just kind of where prices went completely bananas? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, how you what you think of bananas, everything to me looked bananas when uh, even the laggards were jumping two to three times what their prices were the day before. But the epicenter for the biggest price spikes was uh, in the Midwest, in the Rockies. These were the areas that saw the biggest supply disruptions, uh, freeze-offs, and some of the worst of the cold. You know, I'm here in Virginia and it was it was in the 20s and I was complaining, but uh, you know, Kevin, where you are, you were saying it was in the minus 20s, a big difference there. And so these gas prices in those areas jumped as high as into the mid-20s or upper 20s. A uh, handful of cubs we saw above $30 in the, in the Midwest and Mid-Continent, although I would say the Rockies, they were the most uh, consistent up in the 20s. Um, usually when you get the winter weather coming in, the, north, uh, the Northeast is leading the way. In this case, you know, they were just in the middle of the pack, uh, just in the teens. 
Yeah. Well, and, you know, maybe that's also because they're kind of used to this weather. Certainly here in Texas, we're not. We've had a few winter storms over the last couple of years for sure, but, you know, it always kind of catches us off guard. So speaking of some of those other winter storms, how do these prices compare to those seen last December in 2022 during winter storm Elliott and, of course, in February of 2021 with winter storm Uri? Well, overall, for comparisons, uh, URI still holds the crown. Then the national average price topped $80. And of course, URI was uh, the storm that threatened the, the Texas grid. We saw prices, Waha was above $200, KD $350-ish. KD hasn't been top $10 since. Other prices, $400. Um, even in the Rockies, over $100. Um, Chicago city gate over about 130 so we didn't come close to those levels this time this set of storms closer to elliott where the uh, national average was about where we topped out uh, in this month 16 and change the difference there though with elliott the brunt of that storm was in the northeast and their prices did rise much higher the northeast average was around 69 dollars topping out and some prices though in the area over 100 so as i said they were all in the teens this time. Yeah, for sure. And so this was pretty much a quick moving storm. We had a little bit of a lingering chill here in Texas, I know, and in other places across the U.S. But how quickly did we see prices de-escalate from those highs this time around? Prices fell pretty quickly after the holiday weekend. Though, as I said, uh, these prices were traded ahead of it. So they were in, in effect for all four days of the weekend. But the next day, uh, Tuesday trade, the national average fell to around $6, so it fell pretty quick. And then we were in the high $3 ranges you know, into the weekend last week. But we did see uh, that second burst of cold at the end of the week, keep prices in the northeast and southeast lingering a bit at the higher end. The southeast, it was at sixteen above $16 at the peak, the, uh, the average for that region. But it did get a second bump, 4 or $6 into the, the back half of that week. Like, and I guess $4 is not unusual for that region uh, in winter when the winter storms come, but yeah, 6 to $4. Yeah, certainly. Well, and certainly higher than what, the, than what it had been trading at. So you mentioned the warmer weather, but you know, aside from the warmer weather that finally did start moving in here in the third week of January, another reason that prices pulled back pretty quickly is the improvement in the supply situation, which I know is very much unlike that of winter storm Elliott and, and Uri. So Kevin, can you walk us through the impacts that these latest storms had on production? Sure. Yeah. So right before the storms to start the year, overall production, according to Wood McKenzie estimates was right around that 106 BCF per day level, near record highs, near where it was late in 2023. In the immediate aftermath of the storms, uh, it, it dropped all the way down to 90 BCF at its very lowest, hovered in the 90s for a, a few days, and has crawled back up since. But you know, where the, there were pretty widespread freeze-offs. You mentioned the Rockies in the Midwest, uh, up in North Dakota, there were probably was the, the harshest hit and, and the most enduring impacts from the freeze-offs. But there was also freeze-offs all the way down in the mid-continent and, and into the Permian Basin as well. So it was a pretty big hit, albeit relatively brief, a really big hit. In North Dakota, I mean, as Chris mentioned, the, the temperatures were you know 20 below at, at the worst with 
with wind chill factors, it was more like 50 below for about three nights in a row. So at that temperature, you know, everything's vulnerable. So you can, you can understand why the, uh, the production impact was so severe and so sudden. And we've, we've climbed back up, as you mentioned, we're in Wood McKenzie estimates here in late January, put it at around 103 to 104 BCF per day, depending on what day you're looking at, which is still off two or three BCF from, from pre-storm highs. And there is some expectation that production out of the Bakken in North Dakota will remain off for a little bit. Some speculation that some producers may hold back some end of winter because of the price curtailment we've seen and, and the relatively low prices overall this winter. So there's some kind of uh, wild cards here on the production front where whether we'll come back and how quickly we'll come back to that 106 level or, or a little bit above it where we were late in 20, 2023. Yeah. Well, and and you mentioned the Bakken in particular. Uh, yeah maybe taking a while, but also maybe just the producers opting to kind of hold that production back. If we don't get any more significant weather, I can imagine that maybe some would get an early head start on, you know, spring maintenance season. So now would actually be a good time for that. But let's pivot a little bit to another part of the supply picture. What about storage? Obviously, this event resulted in a huge drawdown in underground supplies. So, Kevin, did we set any records? So it was for that January 19 week pull of 326 BCF, which does make it the third steepest pull on records going back to 2010, modern record keeping by the EIA. So yes, very a very steep pull, but not the very steepest. But it did mark the third straight triple digit withdrawal. And some of the lingering weather you mentioned in the Northeast and, and other parts of the East, there are ex- expectations for another triple digit draw for the final week of January. And some longer range forecasts or mid-range forecasts from DTN and others are calling for the potential of another Arctic blast descending from Canada in the second half of February, which in that scenario could again cause more freeze-offs and potentially as well as a surge in residential demand. So we're not necessarily completely out of the woods here on, on future triple-digit draws as well. We started the year overall at about 13% above the five-year average in terms of overall storage, but that, that's been more than cut in half now. And with big draws out of the Midwest and East for most of January, and then another huge one out of the South Central during that that most recent week. Yeah. And I know, of course, all of this is dictated by weather. And, you know, here we are now flipping to one of the warmest periods going back 50 years, I think I read. So quite a lot of fluctuation this winter, I'd say. What are analysts saying about like the storage trajectory for the next couple of weeks? I mean, I know, you know, they're thinking maybe some big draws, but overall, do you think that there's any storage concerns as we, you know, maybe get towards the end of winter? At the moment, no, because we came in to the start of this year so far above the five-year average. And because, as you note, the forecast for the first half of, of February, the end of January, both, that at worst, you're probably going to be sort of seeing seasonal norms in terms of draws. And, and if that's the case, we'll probably hover just above the five-year average and be in pretty good shape. But as I mentioned, the potential for another blast of winter in the second half of February could add, add a wild card. And then, you, you know, it just depends how bad it is. Yeah. 
Well, and weather rules the natural gas market all the time. So thanks for that, Kevin. Jody, you covered the storm through the lens of outages. Now, down here in Texas, we fared well. Our electricity stayed on, our home stayed warm. What can you tell us about how ERCOT and even some of the other power grids fared during during the latest storms? Yeah, so Jerry didn't cause the same cascading problems in Texas as other winter storms like Yuri did in 2021. As many people might remember, the Texas grid buckled under strong demand during Yuri, but the situation was very different uh, with the last winter blast. There were still concerns, though. The ERCOT grid operator, the Electrical Reliability Council of Texas, they were asking customers to conserve energy because they wanted to protect the system's reliability. ERCOT demand did reach a new winter record high at 78,138 megawatts, but the grid operator said had enough supply to handle the load. As far as uh, with utilities, though, it wasn't a smooth sailing. There were power outages that weren't related to grid operators, and uh, AEP customers were the ones who suffered really the worst, mostly in San Antonio. They were the hardest hit. But overall, the utilities outages were pretty quickly resolved. Yeah, that was good. That was good to hear and good to see, especially considering, you know, the length of outages the last time around during URI. Were there any other regions that that saw a lot of outages and have those recovered as well? Yeah, so outages were pretty widespread across the country. The storm hit the West first, and Pacific Gas and Electric had some pretty significant issues. It took days for them to restore service to customers in California, Idaho, and Washington. And then as Arctic air moved eastward, utilities in the eastern third of the country reported scattered outages. According to reports from the Great Lakes to the Mid-Atlantic, there were about 375,000 outages. But again, utilities restored those outages pretty quickly. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, definitely seems like there's been some improvements in in the infrastructure to get those restorations done quickly. What about pipelines? I know that anytime there's a big winter store coming, there's, you know, a lot of operational notices put out. So were there any major issues on midstream infrastructure during the storm? Sure. So the cold did put some strain on pipeline operators. Some reported that they couldn't transmit gas and were unable to fulfill contractual obligations. And then there were others that asked shippers and customers to adjust their supply or usage so that they could maintain system integrity. But others, like Kinder Morgan, for example, they said that their pipeline systems didn't experience any significant impacts from the winter storms. So overall, I think it was a lot better than it could have been or had been under previous winter events. Yeah, definitely. That's good to hear. Now, Chris, I have one more for you. Looking ahead to the rest of winter, I mean, Kevin talked about the forecast. Here we're gearing up for, you know, some of the warmest weather here for the next couple of weeks, but then the back half could bring in another winter blast. In fact, some analysts are projecting that, you know, storage could see another big draw. What are Ford prices telling us? How is the market pricing in all of these wild fluctuations? Well, if you look at the, the NYMEX curve, the you know we saw the February contract. It it tumbled more than a dollar from where it was before the storm, around three thirty seven, to a low around two thirty one, and so that 
that really indicated uh, you know a collapse of expectations for 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 winter to really rebalance. Although it did, you know, we saw the the monster storage pool this week, uh, 326 BCF. But even then, people were saying there's expectations, but then there's expectations. And I guess in the back of their mind, hoping uh, for a surprise to the upside. So futures did come off a little bit after that print. So definitely uh, kind of a bearish tilt to to where the NYMEX has been. You know, the, some of the analysts and traders point to the, the March to April spread, you know, the Widowmaker March has moved to a discount to April, although not by much. It's around a penny, and that's kind of a bearish price signal, they say. Although if you look at the NGI physical curve, prices have come down this week, but March prices um, across most hubs are still a lot of premium to April, so you're not getting that same bearish signal in, in the physical markets. February forwards, there are plenty of hubs still pricing 4 or $5, even uh, so one above $8. And that's in the Midwest, the Rockies, which got hit northeast. It's only always getting plenty of winter. And these curves drop off uh, into April, some by a lot. So forward prices aren't predictions. They aren't forecasts. But yeah, I guess uh, how would you describe as the market's best guess at, at what could be coming or the probabilities? Right. And maybe, you know, with some of those higher prices still lingering in the Midwest and, and in the Rockies, maybe that's where some of that production, particularly in the Rockies, is still offline. So kind of accounting for that. So thank you all. That was really great insights into how the natural gas market fared in this last storm and, and maybe how it will fare if we do get another last blast of winter here later on in February. Obviously, there's still two months left in the natural gas market market's winter season. Uh, So NGI will definitely be watching to see if Old Man Winter has any fight left in him. To stay on top of the day-to-day fluctuations in the natural gas market and for key insights into the fundamentals shaping the industry, be sure to check out NGI's daily gas price index. You can find us at naturalgasintel.com. And of course, be on the lookout for more expert analysis on NGI's hub and flow. Kevin, Chris, Jody, thank you all for sharing your knowledge with us today. On behalf of the NGI team, thank you all for listening. Until next time, take care, everyone. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the Resources tab to find the podcast page.